as I mentioned before the sit, I want to talk about the sense doors, um, sense doors, D-O-O-R-S. For, for a long time, I thought they were sense stores. I didn't know what that meant, but um, when I was in meditation the other morning, the, the garbage trucks were rolling down the street, and I went like, oh, garbage trucks. And then I was listening to another one of Brene Brown's podcasts, and she was saying we really have to guard what we take in right now. A, a, we have to guard what we take in anytime. It's really we have to pay attention about what we read, what we hear, what we think, what we see, what we eat. But especially now, because we can get so overwhelmed and overloaded with things that don't necessarily serve us. So that to guard how we receive things is incredibly important. And um, to be with what our experience is right here. One of the translations of sati means to be with. It's often translated as mindfulness, but it also means be with. So what do we mean by guarding the sense doors? In Buddhist teaching, there are six senses. They are sight, smell, taste, touch, physical experience, and thought. The mind is considered a sense. And although there are only six of these, only, everything relates to them. Everything relates to them. The Buddha said that the totality of life is through these sense doors. And if you think of it, it's true. What do you experience that's not through one of those? I can't think of anything. Um, it, what happens is you smell something and it leads to something else. But it, all, the, all the reactions and responses we have are because of things we've experienced. Um, there's the point of contact, there's the object, whatever it is, the trunk roll, truck rolling down the street the other day. Um, then there's the receptor, so there's the sound of the object, whatever it is, or there's the object. And then there's how we receive it. So with sound, there's the sound, and then we receive it in our, our um, eardrum. Then there's the perception, and then we immediately go into interpretation or consciousness, we immediately bounce into something that is a story about whatever that is, like, oh, garbage trucks, oh, this, oh, that, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's not the, and what we learn to, what we um, then discover when we, we experience things and we decide whether they're pleasant or unpleasant or good or bad, or I want more, I want less, that shouldn't be here, that's, you know, that should always be here. If, if you think about it, in, especially around meditation, because people are very um, conditioned to thinking that it has to be quiet in order to be mindful. It has to, has to be, you know, if you've ever been to a meditation hall or on retreat, everything's really hush-hush and quiet. And then we build up this idea that that's the way it's supposed to be, when in reality we are should be able to, should, I hate the word should, but there is the intention to be able to hold whatever shows up without a, a preference, without a preference for it to be something different. So if you think about meditation and you're sitting in your house and you're sitting and all of a sudden the sound goes by and it's a garbage truck and you hear it and you 
have the perception and then you immediately go into the reaction. It's like, ah, garbage trucks. Or um, I was teaching a morning meditation last year and it was, I think, every Thursday the leaf blowers would go. And it's like, ah, you know, sound hits the eardrum, immediately go into, I wish they'd stop. Why do they have to do that at 7 o'clock in the morning? On the other hand, I could be sitting there, and this happens also very much in the morning, is sound hits my eardrum, but it happens to be birds. And that, I decide, is pleasant. And so it's like, oh, it's so nice listening to the birds chirp, chirp. There should always be birds while I'm meditating. I should have a bird um, recording playing in the background because it's so much more pleasant. What that is, is that's my attachment to birds over garbage trucks. It's not the thing itself, it's my preference. You know, this, 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 when we receive these things, it creates preference. We have um, um, this conditions or this, uh, we haven't, what happens is when it's pleasant, it brings up craving. Well, either one brings up craving. We crave it to be gone or crave more. There's craving, which leads to clinging, which leads to suffering. And it's all because of our reaction to our sense source, whatever's coming in through our senses. Sounds, smells, thoughts, even thought. Thoughts are important because a thought will pop up and we'll immediately run with it. A thought about what's going to happen next week, what's going to happen next month, when is this going to reopen, when is, or thinking back of, of what happened yesterday. You know, I, ha I have a friend who's like, she might get a promotion and she's frantic about, oh, now what's going to happen? A, the thought of what if I don't get the job? That's terrible. And then B, the thought of what if I do get the job? So it's these fabrications of the mind based on some sensation that has gone by. So that is when we're not paying attention, we are trapped by them. We are lost in them. And we don't have any recourse but to, oh, stop and come back. If we are practice, practitioners and training the mind, otherwise we're just lost. I spent a lot of my years, a lot of my life just being dragged hither and fro because of what went on in my mind without realizing that it wasn't reality. It was just my thinking, my made up thinking. And what's really interesting is I am, I just started a book the other day. I don't know how I heard about it. I think somebody must have recommended it or I must have read about it. I, I don't know why I, I downloaded it from the library. It's called, um, what's it called? It's called In Love with the World. I don't know if anyone has heard of it. And it's written by a monk. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a memoir of this Tibetan monk, Yonggi Mingyur Rinpoche. And he was um, one of his was uh, when he was born or when he was very very young they decided that he was um, a reincarnation of a of a of a, a llama so when that happens in this lineage they take the 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 young boy and bring him right to the monastery and he's trained from a very young age to be uh, a, a very highly trained wise monk and so this person. Uh, when he was 38 years old, and this is where the book started, he escaped from the monastery. In the middle of the night, he kind of 
grabbed a bag and then threw it over the wall and took a taxi and went to the train station and, and escaped because he wanted to get away from his conditioned life because he had only been um, taken care of his whole life. It's almost like the story of the Buddha. You know, he always had an attendant and he realized when he got to the train station, he's like, I have never bought a ticket in my life. I've always had an attendant. And he always traveled first class and he bought a ticket on the, and, and it's in India. And so the trains in India are incredibly packed. And so he was stuffed in and he's like, all these smells, all these, this, all this, that. And he was overwhelmed. And so what he was writing about, I was going to say he wrote about this yesterday. He didn't write about this yesterday. I read it yesterday is he was talking about the sensations and the sense doors. And the reactivity that happens, it's really in, in, in um, uh, 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 it's, it's really interesting how he just brought it back. And he said, sensations are the sensation is the link between the object and the mind. There's the body and the mind, the body, the mind and outside um, phenomena are all inter interlinked and part of our training when we sit in meditation is to see how they're linked that the outside phenomena hits the mind and then we just kind of let it take over um and that's what was happening to him he was sitting in this train he was like really chill all the time when he was in the monastery with his you know being taken care of but then all of a sudden he's in this other place and it's like oh my god these noises oh my god these smells oh my god i what have i done i've like walked away from this life and he's like oh come back these are sense doors. Your sense doors are being bombarded in ways that they have not been bombarded totally out of his conditioning, totally outside his experiential range. And he said, and this is a line I love. I want to always remember this. Do, he said, you do not run away from unpleasant feelings or manipulate them into pleasant feelings. That's what we tend to do. We want to run away from unpleasant or manipulate them into pleasant. That's the root of spiritual bypass. You know, when we want to manipulate what's happening into 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 pleasant. And that's what happens when we when we we hear a sound that we really like. Oh, I'm going to buy I'm going to get a tape of birds so it's always in the background and I'll always have a good meditation or I'll get some earplugs so I will never hear those garbage trucks again. So I'll always have a pleasant meditation. We try and control and manipulate, you know. But what happens is what we have to remember is these sensations are impermanent and they pass. They disappear. They, they move on. It's when we hold on to them or massage them or create these stories about them that they linger and they cause suffering. Um, he talks about the interpretive mind that creates fictions just around a single sensation. And that's what happens. There's a single sensation and the mind interprets it and creates a whole story about it. And unless we're paying attention, we will stay there. And because of our conditioning, that's what drives us in these directions. And we take birth as these, these I have to have a new job. I can't do this. I can do that. This must be a certain way. You know, we get so swept up in these stories 
that we don't remember that all the words and images and impressions that created the story were not related to any reality at all. We just made them all up, which is, I think, a really important point. We think they are related, but they're not. It's just something hitting an eardrum, just something coming into the nostrils, some kind of an experience in the, phys the physical experience in the body. And we create a whole world around it. I know sometimes I can smell things and be transported 10,000 miles or 20 years away easily. And then that can engender all these emotions, you know, sad emotions, happy emotions, feelings. So, but, we, but it's not, it's not um, connected to the reality of the moment. It's what my mind has fabricated. So that makes sense. It's making sense. Yeah. I loved, I was so happy when I saw that he was writing about this. You know, and the thing about it is that this, this happens so almost spontaneously that we don't notice it's there. You know, they happen so quickly. And that's where we, we engender the, the um, um, suffering. He says, to misperceive reality is to suffer. And I always say, we always get into fistfights with reality, and we never win. Reality is always present, whether we deny it or not, whether we're in delusion about it or not. So we have to um, pay attention. We have to pay attention. Because it sets up craving, it sets up wanting particular things or not wanting other things. And some moments that we experience are really seductive and it's easy to go into it. And some moments are threatening and it's easy to go into that fight, that fight um, mentality, that fight mode. So we have to pay attention. And how we pay attention is this practice, is the mindfulness practice, is the coming back, coming back coming back. Um, there's a sutta that I love. It's a really short sutta. It's just a few lines, but the gist of it is this, this person was just struggling, 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 and these, these devas, these um, um, spirits took pity on him, and one of them came down and said, yo, um, well, I don't think it said, yo, that wasn't in the sutta, but the quote is, from inappropriate attention, you are being chewed by your thoughts. From inappropriate attention, you're being chewed by your thoughts. Because you're not paying attention, they are just gnawing at you, chewing you up and spitting you out. And you, we don't even know it. We don't even know it because we're not paying attention. We're lost somewhere else. So this mindfulness practice is what's so important. He was talking about it on the, uh, he was talking about it when he was writing about being on the train. When he was lost, he was like, oh, and he'd come back to his practice and he'd do a body scan and check in with, oh, my jaw is tight. My eyebrows are clenched and loosened. You know, what, what it's what we do in practice. It's the training that we do on the cushion that enables us to be mindful and guard against this, this, this path to suffering when we're walking around in our lives. 
that's what this is about. We practice. We practice. Experience, experiencing what's happening in this moment doesn't lead to craving. It's what we do with it that leads to craving and, dis and, and clinging and suffering, discomfort, stress, overwhelm, all those things. So when we are able to stay balanced, when we are cultivating the mindfulness enough to stay balanced, then we have um, we begin to get some equanimity. And equanimity is to be with our experience without preference. Equanimity is to be with our experience without preference. And preference is wanting things to be different from the way they are. Wanting pleasant, wanting not wanting unpleasant. That's what it is. So we're developing equanimity, being able to hold, being able to write. What did he tell He talks about, this is another way of saying it, I like it. Um, we acknowledge the wave, but stay with the ocean. If we imagine we're an ocean, we, we acknowledge the wave that passes by, but we stay with the ocean. Or the other, the other image is like of a mountaintop where the, the weather just comes and goes. There's storms, there's rain, there's this, there's that, but the mountain is steady and solid. It doesn't need the weather to change to be steady and solid. You know, the mind is, uh, the Buddha said, the mind is unmoved by changing circumstances. And these circumstances change all the time, all the time. So what we have to do is, is guard our senses, guard the eyes. What are you reading? Or maybe let me read something that Thich Nhat Hanh wrote. Um, those of you who know Thich Nhat Hanh is a, a Vietnamese monk, and he has taken the five precepts, and he has expanded them. And the fifth precept, he calls it the fifth training precept, which is the fifth precept is to not to not to ingest um, uh, intoxicants that lead to heedlessness, because when you ingest things that lead to heedlessness, you know all bets are off. You are absolutely not paying attention when that happens, and so. Um, this uh, fifth training precept, he writes, aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consum consumption, I am committed to cultivating good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I will practice looking deeply into how I consume namely edible foods, sense impressions, volition, and consciousness. I am determined not to gamble or to use alcohol, drugs, or any other products which contain toxins, such as certain websites, electronic games, TV programs, films, magazine, books, and conversations. I will practice coming back to the present moment to be in touch with the refreshing, healing, and nourishing elements in me and around me, not letting regrets and sorrow drag me back into the past, nor letting anxieties, fear, or craving pull me out of the present moment. 
I am determined not to try to cover up loneliness, anxiety, or other suffering by losing myself in consumption. I will contemplate interbeing and consume in a way that preserves peace, joy, and well-being in my body and consciousness and in the collective body and consciousness of my family, my society, and the earth. So that's a really beautiful and well thought out way of connecting or thinking about guarding the sense doors. It's what are you consuming and how are you consuming it? Not Hopefully not mindlessly because it can lead to being pulled back into regret and past or, or caught up in craving. It's really important right now. Um, so what are you watching? You know, guarding the eyes, taking care of the eyes and guard. And so if you're interested in that, you can just look up Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, training precepts, the five precepts. It's all over Google. Um, and um, so how do you do that? Your eyes. What are you reading? You know, what are you watching? You can watch the news 24-7. I would not advise it. There's, what's the what's the I love the um, the the talk the talk, the all news they say give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the world that's probably good enough 22 minutes or find some things that you trust um, and and go to that you know it's it's I know when this when we first got this pandemic started it was easy to get just lost in social media and lost in the news because it's the great unknown and we need to fill it in fill it in fill it in to find some solidity where all of a sudden there's no ground but what i see and i was there too i mean my social media was like Phew! and i didn't watch the news but i went in other directions and it was like I could feel it was uncomfortable. I could feel it didn't land. It was like way too much. And, I, and it's, you sometimes I have those out-of-body experiences going, this is way too much. Yeah, but I'm still going to do it. Those little guys on the shoulders talking to each other. Um, and so now it's like, in, and what, what we want to do with these kinds of experiences is recognize what's underneath this. What's underneath this? Oh, it's fear that's driving this. Or uh, this this uh, uncomfortability with impermanence, and can we come back and hold that? That's why we come back, come back, not to talk beating ourselves up for doing that. Don't beat yourself up for for the journey you've been on these last few weeks. That makes no sense. But just to go, oh, what's underneath it? What what's driving this? You know, the same thing, ears. What are you listening to? What are you ingesting? What are you consuming? The mouth. What are you, what are you taking in via mouth? You know, in, to, to abstain from intoxicants that lead to heedlessness. I, I heard that alcohol sales were up. And now that, and I think cannabis deliveries are up too. And in California, so it's legal here. And I hear a lot of the states where it's legal, that's like through the roof too. It's like, I understand that we want to soothe ourselves, but watch what you're doing. It's so easy to distract. You know, any of these things, people are shopping online and 
Although I did hear, I think I shared this once, somebody was going around to doing all this shopping online and just putting tons of things in their shopping cart and then just getting off the site without buying. So, you know, that might be fun. Um, so watching, watching that type of thing, uh, physical, how are you treating yourself? How are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you walking around? Are you getting movement? It's really important to nourish ourselves and mental you know, gentle, kind, compassionate. Really be, we have to really be kind to ourselves. I was reading this other sutta this morning in um, meditation, and I, I, did a, I did a thing for Lion's Roar yesterday where I talked about this sutta, which is where the Buddha says we must, we must hold ourselves dear, more dear, then we hold anyone else. And just as we hold ourselves dear, we understand that all beings hold themselves dear. We all hold ourselves and cherish ourselves. And so when we understand that, then we will treat each other with kindness and compassion. But we have to start with ourselves oftentimes. You know, how are you talking to yourself? Do you have that harsh critic? who's doing a running commentary about how awful you are and how badly you're doing this and you should be doing that and you should be doing the other thing, that's not healthy. That's not wise either. You know? And it's always okay to you know, reminisce. It's always okay that we have to plan. We think about the past. Like I said earlier about sometimes a smell will take me to some other place, some other time. And sometimes it's nice to just be there. It's okay. It's okay. So be gentle with yourselves. But, but I think when you're paying attention and you've been doing this practice long enough, you can tell when it's veering off into, ah, it's maybe not beneficial. Can I pull myself back? Be willing to make the effort. All these practices that we learn support other practices like wise effort and seeing when it's not beneficial. I talked about that last week, seeing when our thoughts aren't beneficial and pulling ourselves back. That's how we guard. That's what guarding the sense doors means. Watching what we consume with, through all of our senses. It's really important. And recognizing, as I said, these, these experiences will pass quickly. Well, these experiences will pass. I, I take quickly back. Sometimes the, the, the emotions hang out for a while. But we want to come back and tend to what's here. Not the stories, the fabrications that are reactions to what's going on. You know, the Buddha said, guard the sense doors. Do not seize hold of objects an object's general appearance or details. Otherwise, you can be overwhelmed by these unwholesome states of mind. You know, and he also said when a man leaves his sense doors unguarded, he lives in stress or suffering. You know, the bur burning in body and mind, suffering day and night. And that's it. You, you, I know you've all experienced that. I have spent years there. And I'm grateful I don't spend years there now. I, spend, I sometimes fall there. And then hopefully I remember, oh, come back. What's happening right now? Oh, that sight, that image I saw just passing by made me feel bad about myself. 
You know, we get so many, we're so deeply conditioned. This is not an easy fix. This, this, this practice takes a long time. This disentangling ourselves from our deep conditioning, from the stories, from the family, familial stories, the cultural stories, the systemic bullshit that, that kind of shapes and clamps down our world is, um, takes a while to disentangle internally from that but it's so worth the effort the freedom comes when you can do that so that's my thoughts on guarding the sense doors any questions or comments about that thoughts i'm gonna break it into groups so fair warning pete yes um if you were to embrace equanimity fully, would that mean, as long as you have your basic needs met, like food and water, that you could just sit in a room and that would be all you need? Um, I, I suppose you could, um, but you could also live a life and still be a quantumist. I mean, you, if you were taken care of, yeah, I suppose. I've not. That's kind of, mm -hmm. that's kind of how I see it. Ultimately, if, if, if you fully embrace equanimity, mm -hmm. then you accept things as they are. Right. And you have no desire or motivation to change the situation. Oh, okay. I hear what you're saying. Thank you. Not necessarily if you're in a bad situation. Right. Of right. Right. Um, I, that is, thank you for the question. That can be a way to go with equanimity, but I don't, I, that's not my experience of it. Not that I, I have full equanimity. I have much more than I used to, but I don't, I'm not like, I'm not like there all the time. Um, what, I would say is, and what my experience is, is there's a balance. And I also know that um, in these precepts that are expanded, and I think Thich Nhat Hanh is one of the ones, like the first precept of don't, do not take, intentionally take a life, you move into ending suffering where you see it. The Buddha talks about putting down the weapons and being compassionate towards all beings. And so if there is still greed, hatred, and delusion in the world, which there is no lack of by any way, shape, or form, then we work to end that as we can, as best we can with what makes sense for us in our world. And this pandemic has, you know, I don't know how this is going to land, and this is a very personal um, point of view, but it, we live in a shithole country. I think it's my opinion based on what we see and and the mechanisms and the the all the systemic bullshit that's been going on forever has been really exposed the 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 marginalization of 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 African Americans and people of color and and it's just and and um how easy we fall into um xenophobia and blaming and and Etc. 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 So that, in my world, means like I could sit and meditate till the cows come home. But I think 
I might want to move towards ending suffering where I can and doing what I can to alleviate that. The Buddha, on his awakening, he said, I'm just going to sit here. And then he realized, I think one of the one of the Brahmins, um, one of the devas came down to him and said, dude, there's people out there that need your support. They have a little bit of dust in their eyes. And so he got up and he taught for 45 years to help people see, um, see the nature of existence and the nature of suffering and to help end it where he could. So I, I think that's a, a slippery slope that people think about when they think about Buddhism is like, oh, this is the way it is. It's like, yes, right now, this is what is happening. And I am holding it and I am accepting it because it's reality. But that right now, that's the reality. But that doesn't mean it's what's the uh, wholesome or beneficial. It's harmful. And we need to work towards ending harm as we can. And still be equanimous. I can still be equanimous and work towards ending ending stuff or ending, ending people or stopping um, bad things from happening. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, so it no longer becomes about you, but yeah. what's going on outside of you. That's the bodhisattva vow, the Mahayana view of the bodhisattva who forgoes their awakening if others, if there are other beings who are still suffering. Beings are, beings are numberless. I vow to save them all. Suffering is endless. I vow to end it. That's the bodhisattva vow. The, the I, I'm not just going to sit back in, in my room with food and water and let everybody else find, figure their way out. I am, I am going to, you know, move and do what I can, yet still be equanimous. And people I see who have worked in um, uh, worked in social justice for many, many, many decades, they seem to have that equanimity. A lot of people I've met have that sense of equanimity. It's like, been doing this for a long time, still needs to be done without getting all bent out of shape. There's, there's emotions that are there that are present. But they're held in in balance without clinging. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology, that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.